Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is T. Susan Chang. Or Susan Chang. Or Susie Chang, she likes. Anyway. Susan's the author of Tarot Correspondences and Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers by Llewellyn Press, 2018. And a Spoonful of Promises. And a Spoonful of Promises from Globe Picot, 2011. Along with deck creator Mel Moline, Susie hosts the Fortune's Wheelhouse Esoteric Tarot Podcast which explores imagery and symbolism in the Rider-Waite-Smith, Thoth, and Tabula Mundi decks. She's a creator of the Arcane Case for Tarot decks, which can be found at her Etsy shop, along with her line of esoteric perfumes. She reads Tarot weekly in person in In Spirit Crystals in Northampton, Massachusetts. All of her products, events, and blog posts can be found at her website, which is in the description. Susan, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Good to be here. Welcome. This is going to be great. You're going to bring us some woo. (laughs) (laughs) We love the woo. Woo, woo, That's right. Hello, everyone in chat who's joining us. Good to meet you. New folks. Okay. Hello out there. You all know I don't look at chat. And hello, everybody who's came from Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy Facebook group. Yes. Yep. Welcome. Yes. Welcome. So I pre-chat stuff since the in the general news i was asking susie about the great storm <laughs> going on <laughs> since it's in the in her neck of the woods it's kind of yeah yeah it's just uh it's just going to be really really cold tonight i think i think we got the snow yesterday nothing much to speak of not, not much to speak of for new england right well that's that's one of the things as a midwesterner i we were we always had really intense storms in the winter i mean i was i remember growing up and having snow you know making snow forts and tunnels through big piles of snow so yeah and you guys get that lake effect snow too so it just goes on and on and on forever yeah yes i got that in chicago man it was nasty yeah yeah that wind chill oh geez (laughs) there was a discussion on facebook today about that about i think it was uh Aaron David's girlfriend. Oh yeah, I uh, was talking about the wind chill was going to be twenty eight below or something. Oh, yeah. Asheville. I'm like, that's not, you know, when I was a kid, I remember fifty degrees below wind chill easily. Yeah, so, I remember those low too. Yeah. In in the area I grew up in, which is a lot of Scandinavian types, the words always went around like those grim and frostbitten, you know, <laughs> Newfoundlanders and. <laughs> and, you know, where metal really comes from. I don't know. It's all oh, climate yeah. change. Mm. Well, whatever it is, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> so, all right. Hi, Susie. I'm thrilled about this. I am too. I mean, when I can't think of another situation where people actually want to hear about your dreams. So, you know, I think your show is just an amazing premise. And uh, since you contacted me, I've started listening, and I really think it's great. I think it's fascinating stuff you're finding out. Oh, man, that's an honor. I know. And as as I have to tell everyone, too, since I'm the one blabbing up most of the time, Jerry does all 
of the work. I show up. Jerry <laughs> <laughs> does literally everything else. It's it's so funny. It's I just I feel like I need to say that from time to time. But I do it all for you. Jerry, you do it for us. This is our love baby. Mm-hmm. It's our, our homunculus. Yes. <laughs> Should I step out? <laughs> no, no, we're good. All right, so let's let's dive right in. What what was uh, inspiring you? What really sticks out for you in your earliest memories of your life? Yeah. So. Um... I grew up in the suburbs of New York in one of those Hudson River towns. So um, really literally looking out over the river, over the train tracks, all of that. And that's one of my, you know, seminal memories of just looking out towards the sunset, hearing the train go by at that, you know, incredibly lonely hour and watching the river go by. So there's a part of me that's like always in that space. But I was definitely um, a little bit of, well, you know, like the kids in our tribe, right? You know, I was a little off by myself, a little bit weird, constantly reading, you know, and um, definitely talking to the fairies, a lot of that. But, um, But sort of the most important, one of the most important parts naturally, I think, in terms of like my natural environment as a kid was our backyard because we had sort of a hill that sloped up behind the house and at the top of the hill there was this line of like seven or eight pine trees all in a row and they were very old and very thick so i could go in there and they formed like chambers in between each pine tree and that was like my house right so four or five little chambers underneath trees and i you know sort of even now I dream about them, but they were, you know, a place for me to take refuge, a place for me to take my book, a place for me to have my, you know, imaginary world. And this is the suburbs, you know, it wasn't like the country where I live now. It wasn't, it was pretty cultivated place, but that was enough, you know, to, to feel a little bit of wildness inside. Yeah, that's, a, I mean, any, any time when you have any bits of nature, even a little thicket, you're you're there with it, especially as a child. Yeah. We really connect. Did you were you a child that read a lot? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Never without a book. Even <laughs> my sister and I were were joking about this the other day. She oh, it's it's macabre and it's sad and it's funny. My uh my father passed away uh, a couple weeks ago and we had services this last weekend and she started out her speech <laughs> She started out her speech with the tagline, uh, Crest has been proven to be a decay prevent, you know, preventive dentifrice, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that's written on the back of the toothpaste. Because oh my God. when we were kids, you know, there was no reading material in the bathroom. So you just read that. Oh my God. I was one of those kids too. I would read anything that had any writing on it. Exactly. If it was there, it got read, you know? Yes. I love that at your father's funeral. That is, that's... Everyone was like, what? (laughs) Um, But I just started laughing hysterically. Oh, it's good. And that's, you know, that's what funerals need a lot of times, some laughter. Exactly. Exactly. And there was something else I was going to... Oh, yes. So, um, 
So I just made a couple notes myself here. One thing that apparently had a serious effect on me was The Wizard of Oz when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So before the Tolkien, you know, before uh, everything else, before probably even or maybe around the same time as all the Andrew Lang books, but The Wizard of Oz really got stuck in my head. And I used to have this, you know, vast imaginary world in which, well, you know, Glinda the Good Witch, in the book, she's the Witch of the Wind South. Of the North. Right? Uh, right. Oh, wait. Well, in the movie, she's the Witch of the North. In, in the, the book, book, she's the Witch of the South, South which yeah. is a weird thing. I don't know why they did that. But I reasoned, Good Witch of the South has to be a Good Witch of the North. That's got to be me. <laughs> 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 so I had this like whole world in my mind where I was the Good Witch of the North. I had, you know, Glinda was my friend. I had all this like, you know, Oz geography going on. And uh, yeah, real poppy. <laughs> I loved it. Of course, that's tribe. You're tribe to me. I was just thinking, we've had a lot of people talk, bring up Wizard of Oz and yeah. Alice in Wonderland is another yeah. one. But you just made me think about the north-south aspects of that. Do you think, because they reversed it in the film, in some way that's like the system showing us that it's inverted in a way? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I thought they just made a mistake, oh. you know. <laughs> or, or the other thing is that the, the, the witches represent archangels. So the directions, yeah. maybe they Could, wanted a different, I don't know. I'll show which, up. Didn't they change quite a bit? Weren't her shoes, I can't remember, I thought they were silver or something. They were silver shoes. They weren't ruby slippers. But man, you know, once you see the ruby slippers, that's yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, the technicolor, I mean, how, you know... I mean, it's amazing. The very first, I, technically. My mother gave me those books. There were three of them, weren't there? Journeys Through Oz. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I can't remember, but I coveted them. Of course, I can't remember much of it. That's right. interesting. What, so with that, I want to talk about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. What, what was your general thought? That What did you think overall? Like, what was the feeling you got from from reading that in general? That was really a feeling of um, hmm, safety and empowerment, I guess, in the sense that, first of all, there had to be magic, right? Yes. Because if there wasn't magic, what's the point? And so that's just where my first magic must have come from. And, mm. um, and I guess, and when I was little, you know, I would actively you know, try really, really hard to think about all the places I wanted to be and, you know, all the worlds I wanted to be in so I could end up there. It didn't always work, but it was worth trying, right? So one of the places was Oz. You know, I would try to go there. And I don't know, I probably made it there a couple of times, but I was definitely going to try because that's the kind of kid I was. Oh, and I forgot to tell you. So (laughs) my sister just reminded me of this the other day. So my parents were both artists, which is a little weird for Chinese Americans, but they both were. And um, so our house was like filled with their paintings and my dad's weird sculptures and stuff. And one of his sculptures was a Jacob's ladder. It was like he had created this um, wooden ladder structure with a mirror on each end and suspended it from the ceiling. So that hung in our house forever. Um, But and it's continued to stand even after I tried to climb it. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and that mirror, you know, and, and I always thought about this too, because when I tried to climb it, inevitably the mirrors cracked. Two cracked mirrors, 14 years of bad yes. luck. <laughs> yes. 
I subscribed to that when I was young too with the mirrors. Mm-hmm. If not infinite years of bad luck. Yes, 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 <laughs> right, because of the infinity. And you're so fortunate to have artists' parents that both yeah. of yeah it skipped us we were music we were musicians but yeah they were it was really they were quite rebellious for you know for their family and their time yeah yeah that's well that's quite a gift and yeah. i mean clearly it shows in you which is, <laughs> you know i don't know who your sister is but she's it, a musician it, yeah it's played out and i consider musicians artists by the way. yes yes we're all of a kind yes yeah. with the people tapping into creativity Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So back there in your youth, what other kinds of things like pop culture did you like certain cartoons? <laughs> you know, what was going yeah. on? So I definitely had a bit of a weird childhood, definitely not normal in the sense that, you know, my parents may have been rebellious, but they still did certain things. So that meant that there was not a lot of pop culture. <laughs> yes. Other than other than Mr. Rogers and um Sesame Street. I love uh, Mr. Rogers. Really into opera as a little mm-hmm. kid, which is again not the most What normal. was your favorite so, opera back then? Still probably is well, pretty much I liked all the Mozart operas, mm-hmm. but today my favorite's Don Giovanni. Back then Just it might have been the magic. Yeah. Part, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Don Giovanni's witchy. <laughs> it's witchy and weird and beautiful from start to finish. Yes. And, you know, Magic Flute is wicked yes. occulty. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've heard people talk about yeah. uh, Mozart having a deep occult knowledge. stuff. Yeah, uh, he was probably uh, a mason. Too. Probably. Yeah. Ger- or German. Yeah. He was German. Austrian. But yeah. Austrian, I think. Mm-hmm. They had magic. Everyone. That it is. Um, well, that I mean that. So asking about the pop culture thing, and there you find yourself at Juilliard, where really a lot of people come from that are part of the the mill of pop culture, mm-hmm. right? It's Juilliard's this major, and so I find that significant for myself did you what was your dream life like early on yeah i was thinking about that so i had a lot of flying dreams and um and later i in fact my whole life i've had a lot of flying dreams but a lot of getting tangled in telephone wires (laughs) interesting yes a lot of sort of self-sabotage like that um a lot of invisibility dreams too which are you know those two things are kind of opposite but i have both and um yeah when you when you fly do you have a specific do you fly the same every time or has it morphed usually i get a running start and then i sort of (laughs) (laughs) usually get a running start sometimes flap my arms you know usually there needs to be some momentum building or if i can find a good high thing to to jump off of that also works yeah. it's funny it's funny I, these i love you're the first one i think jerry's has anyone else said they get a running start <laughs> i think Susie's the when first she said that i was thinking back on i hope she's got all these written down because i have no idea if anyone else said that so no I, I think it's the first for me i do write it all down but i i don't recall anyone else saying i can't that. remember hearing that no that's that's yeah. seriously awesome 
Yeah, it's sort of like you run and then you lean towards the ground until you're practically parallel with the ground and then you just pick up your feet, you know? Oh. <laughs> that was a TV awesome. show I saw recently, by the way. Really? Which one? Oh, you yeah. It's a show called Reverie. It was on ABC. It's about, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's weird. It's about a brain-computer interface that basically puts you in a dream state and an AI drives your reality and it drives your brain, your consciousness into this virtual reality. Oh and that's she's she was standing on a stump and she leaned forward to 90 degree angle mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. started to float and then flew that's it that's mm -hmm. it yeah i also had a, like an absolute ton of nightmares when i was little and those were recurring and wild um so there was first of all there was one i always i don't know if this is a thing this might be a thing where I had like a, I would see a pattern of blue and red, like electric dots. Does any, I think it might be an actual thing that people do when they're falling asleep. But for it, for but me, it was significant in a lot of the loose disease, a lot of the programs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. And I always thought when I saw that, that I was about to have a nightmare. So I would get kind of worked up about it. And I saw that on multiple occasions. I saw, I had, at least once. It was so terrifying. I hoped I'd never have it again. And I'm not sure I did. I had the dismemberment dream where my parents were dismembered and laid on like a, a background of these blue and red dots. And, ugh, that was awful. Do you so, remember more details of that one? Yeah, it took place in the basement, right? Mm -hmm. So it was in our house. We had a very like um, dreamscape friendly house because you entered it was a split level. So you entered on a landing and then left was up and right was down. And down was where the, um, the, the laundry room and the sewing room and my dad's studio were. So the sewing room was where this took place. And it was um, underneath sort of a, there was like a counter or a bed. Anyway, and underneath that, there was that pattern of dots against the wall um, like it was almost like a I don't know a light bright or a um or uh or some kind of pin board or something anyway so I saw that more than once and yeah and that was a really horrible dream but there's another reason that that room was really scary because so I mentioned my parents were artists and so one of their awesome projects when I was like four was they decided God bless them <laughs> to make a plaster cast of my head. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, with the straw where you have to be still. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, dear. you know, so they, there was this bust in my house of my head, oh. <laughs> <laughs> life size. Um, and it lived in my room until I, I said, I can't have it in here, you know, because it's horrible and it's frightening me and giving me nightmares. And so they put it in the basement. Where else, right? Yeah, <laughs> so now I have, <laughs> I have this like permanent nightmare generator in the basement. And uh, yeah, and oh God, that thing was so creepy. <laughs> and so I would have nightmares where, um, where the th I would be standing on the landing and the head would start floating up the stairs and following me. Um, sometimes it would be, I remember another thing that sometimes it would be just like geometric shapes, like a uh, 3D triangle or a circle or something about yay big. 
uh, would follow me up the stairs and oh, it was the most terrifying thing ever. So was yeah. it transparent? Um, so the the plas uh, the shapes of the head. No, the the triangle thing. Oh no, it was. Um, you know what it was like. It was white. Yeah, solid and white. Maybe off white. I'm. I sort of confuse it in my mind with this sort of like gelatinous 60s, 70s dessert my mom used to make. But um, but yeah, it was it was sort of white and opaque and of undefined texture. And they would just and sort of float up and chase me around the house. Interesting. Did you ever have any kind of like transmission with them, like communication? No, I was too terrified. I ran. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a wise thing. I think that reflex is a good thing. <laughs> I think so. I don't know, because, you know, I I am a specialist in chase dreams to, to some extent, extent. I do get chased a lot in dreams. But about five years ago, 10, no, more like 10 years ago, I had a massive change in my chase dream scenarios where, um, you know, I was just in a typical chase. And I, uh, and I didn't know who was chasing me or whatever. And I remember this dream because it was so different and it really changed everything. I, um, I suddenly stopped and I said, I don't see why I'm, I'm, I don't see why I'm running. So I turned around to uh, face the person who was chasing me. And it was just like some ordinary guy who looked like, anybody on the street i mean he was just like the most normal looking person and i said what do you want <laughs> <laughs> and the guy just looked at me and he said oh, i don't know and he walked away <laughs> so yeah so that that since then i have to say that was like a seminal dream for me it definitely since then i've i've been afraid of less i think it's fair to say how how old were you then, if I may ask? When I had this sort of confrontation yeah. dream? It's really only like 10 years ago, something it, like that. I don't know how old you are. I was, here, put it this I'm way. I'm 49. Was it, so it was not during your Saturn return. Okay. No, no, no. But a bit interesting. Although it is, you know what it is today? It's my Jupiter conjunct the midheaven, mm. my fourth one. And I actually went, because I'm an obsessive documentarian, I've kept a diary every day since I was like 10. Oh, I wow. got to go back and look and see, you know, every time that's happened. So, that so let me, just for clarity, I Thanks. thought the triangle things were something you saw in waking life, but they were in the dream. No, they were in the dream. That was one okay. of my worst nightmares. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I definitely agree in dreams. You should confront stuff. Yeah. And if one can do it like Rin Collier, like confront them and eat them, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I heard that one. That was great. Yeah. He was, his, he's awesome. I look, I've never done that. And so it's, um, well, I have since, since having that chat with him, but before that, no. Okay. So back, back, back again, I wanted to say something very provocative, but before we get to it, just some other basic stuff. Were you brought up with any kind of religious stuff? Not really. I think um, I think that my family, my actually, you know, my dad's family was was fairly okay. So his mom founded the Buddhist Association of the United States, but Buddhists are non-evangelical, so none of the kids were Buddhists. 
right? And none of us were. Um, and then like my mom's side, there was some sort of like, it can't hurt Christianity going on, right? But uh, nothing serious. So for me though, I think that, I mean, nowadays I would describe myself as more animist than anything else. And I think as a kid, I was kind of naturally an animist. So I feel like I'm kind of coming back to that in yeah, my nice. midlife. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's weird how it all spirals. Yeah. Yeah. And then on on basic stuff, your your chart information, like your oh. sun and rising. Yeah. So I'm a Virgo sun, but I'm Pisces rising. So I've really got I'm really all over that axis. And then I have an Aquarius moon. We Pisces rule. <laughs> and the, the rising at me is the most yeah of the, that trinity all right so this is what intrigued me and i don't think we have had anyone talk about this in the history of nox Mente thus far invisibility and in dreams mm -hmm. girl mm -hmm. give us some details <laughs> okay so okay so i i am definitely a person who dreams about crime a lot and um, invisibility is very important if you dream about crime a lot. And um, so I will typically have dreams where there's, you know, murder or death or mayhem of some kind. And it's really not that disturbing because it's a dream, right? I mean, right. that's what dreams are for, to help you work stuff out. So in the, in the context of the dream, it doesn't really bother me, except um, I'm often trying to uh, get away with it, you know, whether I'm the murderer or not, there's usually an element of me having to get away with it. And that's where being invisible comes in. So much like the flying, though, I can't sustain invisibility for very long before something starts to show. <laughs> there's, you know, it's sort of like something always, and I was talking with my daughter about this, about her flying dreams. You know, she never can keep it up for very long can't keep up flying very long, can't keep up invisibility very long. You know, um, something always starts to show, like you try to fade into the wall or mm -hmm. you try to fade into like, there's a brick chimney or something and you try to like camouflage yourself like that, but there's always a sock or <laughs> something that does not look like a brick. And you know, whoever's chasing you is like, that is not a chimney. So, yeah. So, but I think that, um, I think that I've, yeah, I don't know, I, I sort of feel like I've really kind of not explored my superpowers, my dreaming superpowers in a while. I haven't had flying or invisibility dreams for some time, um, so I'm not sure why. But, um, but I can tell you that it is definitely a skill that at the time that you want it, you really, really want it. Mm-hmm. When, you know, with flying dreams in particular, which I think a greater majority of people at least experience a little bit, you get, a, a if you're not having a high degree of lucidity within the dream, a lot of times those bring it in because it's so out of your normal in the daylight, right? Right. right. So Absolutely. is that the same experience with invisibility? No, no. Lucidity is much more likely for me flying than invisible. Like when you're... Because I think the invisibility thing is more driven by fear, you know, and rather than the flying. And I think that that causes you to be less 
I don't know, less, less likely to go lucid because you're so lost in the feeling of anxiety or whatever it is. I don't know. It's a very Slytherin thing to do, go invisible. <laughs> House of Slytherin. <laughs> well, I would like to incorporate that power. I, I can't say off the top of my head that I have experienced that and so I'm intrigued and it's going to be on, now it's in my head. You've given mm -hmm. me that. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So that I, I want to have fun with. Any powers you don't have here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the powers are great. And, you know, and I think that's, that's one of the really real beauties of lucidity that I mean, or sorry, of dreaming generally that you, you get to try out stuff that is probably part of you anyway, that's just, you know, just not your daily experience, not your mundane world. And I think that, you know, I, I mean, I really, really love and worship dreams in a sense, because I do think that the you know, I do think that the, the world is, our reality is not as we perceive it. And yes. that dreams help us get a little bit of a glimpse into what it might be like. You know, it's, I don't know, I also do journey work. And I find that those two methodologies are not dissimilar. Yes, they are. They're, they're in line, I think. Same with, uh, well, journey work is akin also to, you know, active imagination. Right. And all of that, which is really put getting into the same mindset that while you're awake. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and it's really, you know, I, I probably only started doing journey work a year and a half ago, but, you know, of all the different esoteric practices I've tried, there's something just so powerful about it, you know. Have you um, been exposed to QHHT at all? No, what's that? Quantum healing hypnosis therapy, I think. Hmm. Sounds like fun. It's like, um, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but to me it's like a, almost a regression therapy, but in a, a, a counselor-led reality. You know? mm -hmm. like they'll take you back in time so you can repair wounds in your mind, which will basically you know, you forgive yourself or whatever you did, but they take yeah. it back into the context of the timeline. That does sound like something you might do in a journeying practice. It sounds very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Hmm. Do, did you, when, when you were little and you had brought up this a little bit earlier in the show about having lots of nightmares and you brought some of that forth, what were there general themes going on besides the crime stuff yeah um let's see abandonment is the other big one for me um because well i mean i don't know i didn't lose my mom until i was 14 she died of cancer when i was 14 and however i had incredible abandonment dreams when i was a kid and i sort of feel like you know whatever's going on in here is not necessarily respectful of the timeline, right? So, you know, I could have been right. picking up on that in some way. And yeah, so that was always, that was always, but, um, and getting Care lost. Careful with that mic, Eugene. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm trying to get it closer to me. It's really far away. Uh, so <clears throat> is it all right if we talk about abandonment for a minute? Sure, absolutely very deep in my life with the same mom stuff and uh 
all of that. And so mm -hmm. it's definitely one of my in union terms complexes. <laughs> mm -hmm. So for sure. And yeah. so you were having those before your mother died. Yeah, yeah, I was. But after my mother died, so I had a very um so my mom was she really focused more of her attention on my sister. You know, they were both very intense, so there was a lot of fighting and stuff like that. But my mom um, you know, she was pretty easy on me and I felt very close to her. But, um, after she died, she died of lung cancer after about a mm, year and a half of being sick. Oh. I had a dream, uh, probably just a few months later where, um, she was back and she was fine. And I think this is a dream that people often have when they lose a parent, you know, it's mm -hmm. almost like your dream makers trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I was so happy and I was so relieved. And, um, and then of course I woke up, but then I had over the years, she's come a few different times, you know, sporadically. Um, and in, as an adult, when I've dreamed about her, I've been aware that she's, that she died, you know, and that she's passed over. Um, Although sometimes it's like she's back, but not in real life, just back, you know. And I think that's partly because in the last year, so it's it's actually really interesting that you contacted me because I've been chronicling my dreams, which I almost almost every day for about a year now, and um, and she has come back as part of um, the ancestor practice that I've developed. And, you know, I've done a lot of journey work around contacting my mom. And in a few situations, we've been together in dreams, kind of doing the business of ancestor work. So that's been pretty amazing. And, you know, and, and in a sense, that helped me with this whole situation with my dad as well, because I felt like, okay, we're going to get to talk. It's all right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I do know it's 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 funny these things are are intangible until you do know like that's why I always call it like the dead parent club and stuff like yes that. you just don't know until you know especially if you were close to them so yeah. I mean some people just were not close to their parents and it's no big deal to them and right. I, it just never was that way with okay so back on on your momo is did you have any foresight and you knew she was having health issues whether mm -hmm. however you comprehended it mm -hmm. that, whatever your comprehension level was of that were you having dreams beforehand where she was fading away and leaving no not really I don't really have much record of my dreams from that time so I can't really say I don't think I was as good at remembering them at the time mm -hmm. so who can say um you know, I'm I'm not a particularly psychic person in terms of like the Claire's, but I do have the occasional psychic dream. And uh and no, I don't remember having anything like that as far as her case is concerned. And then after in these dreams you've had with her after, but before before the modern, when you were first the first few times you saw her, were you what was the emotional scale? Oh, amazing. It was like a 
It was like a 10, you know, it was just the sensation of joy and relief. Mm-hmm. That's why I remember it. Yeah. 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 Me too. I would get, I was so overwhelmed though. And then the, the missing was so hard that we just had to have barriers between us. It's like, yeah. she's like, okay, I'm going to be behind a glass or in another room. <laughs> so you can sort this out. Yeah. How, when did you lose yours? Uh, oh, geez. I think it's 21 years mm. ago. February 16th at 1.07 a.m. Oh my goodness. Oh. Yeah, it's everyone, like the death, so many deaths in my family around this, around February, around now. Really? Yes, mm. Un, it's uncanny. And a lot of births in April, my mother was in May, and my grandmother's April, and mine's April. A lot mm. of spring births, a lot of spring deaths. Very strange how those cycles yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Hmm. So, okay. And then also I want, while we're on the subject, so with your papa, did you know ahead of time? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He had had Alzheimer's for 20 years. Oh my. So yeah, he actually lived with me for the first eight or nine. So I was his caretaker, which was, oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And then he had been in various forms of assisted living after that. So, so yeah. And to be honest, you know, I, I, I found it very hard to journey. I wouldn't journey on him at all because it was like, you know, he's surrounded by this miasma of mm-hmm. fogginess, you know, in between worlds. And I, I almost think that, you know, as a person with Alzheimer's, you might be partly in the dream state, you know, yes. your reality might be like that. So I figured once he crossed over, I might have a chance. But not yet, because I do believe that there's probably some kind of thing that happens, some kind of journey the soul has to deal with after uh, after death. So eventually, I think we'll get there. Yeah, it's really fresh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. Well, you know, I forgot about this. I, I did. Oh, I had this incredible dream after the night my dad died. Now, before he died, I had done some journey work. I had gone to my ancestral place in Journey, and I had gotten to see um, my father reunite with his mom. So I knew that was going to be okay. But um, the night that he died, I went home, because we had been sitting vigil in the hospice with him. I went home, and I went to and had this weird dream. Um, and I, it was definitely, you know how some dreams just sort of have an asterisk next to them right away? Yes. <laughs> you know, special, yes. different, weird. This was yes. one of those. So I, uh, I'm just pulling out my notes here. Oh yeah. So it started out at one of those like super normal dreams about being lost in a city with a car, like totally normal dream. I have this all the time. This one was Boston and I had trouble finding a parking space. Anyway, so after I settle all that, I go into a building, which I think is a museum, and I find myself on the top floor. It's actually, by the time I get to the top floor, I'm convinced it's a library, except it's empty and there are no books. And, um, and you know, and that's right there. That's something because I call these upstairs, downstairs dreams, where you're sort of traveling between, you know, subconscious realm and whatever's up there, the reaching for the beyond. Uh, but that's what top floors and stairs are represent to me. 
So I was on this threshold or landing on the top floor of this empty library, and off to my left, sort of light just shimmering. It was uh, maybe uh, two feet high, very bright, very pure. And, um, And I thought, well, something's kind of weird here. It was almost like when you're about to go lucid, I, I, I knew there was something, I definitely knew something was not normal. So I said, okay, I'm going to have a look at it. And I turned my attention to it. <laughs> and it, it materialized into this, like, I, I, I kept thinking him, of him as a skeleton gentleman, eight inches tall, <laughs> very small, um, but, and very weird. and I. I looked at this thing and it looked at me and we just looked at each other and I assured, I assured him that we had nothing to fear from one another. Although I was, you know, my heart was like pounding like mad and, um, and, 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 and after that, I guess just, um, I guess I just woke up right after that, because I remember waking up and laughing because I thought, well, obviously, or wouldn't it make sense if my dream maker decided to bring me a dream about my father, but isn't it ridiculous that he's eight inches tall? <laughs> it's, it's really potent imagery. Yeah. Considering that the Alzheimer's, right? And so in the middle of all that that's Alzheimer's, there is the core. Exactly, exactly. And there, you know, and I, I posted this on um, Dream Interpretation Group I'm on, and somebody observed, first of all, makes sense it's an empty library because nobody knows what happens afterwards. Right, right. But also the fact that in my mind, he was a gentleman, which, you know, there were no physical cues. He wasn't like he had a top hat and a monocle or something. It was just in my mind, he was a gentleman. And that's the way my father was. He was a gentleman. He was a person who was courteous to everyone he met. So, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that was a connection. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so much there. And on here, you know, one of the things we don't do is get into interpretation because mm. I get sticky. Um, although, I mean, I, of course, I, have, I make my associations. Mm. I find it extremely potent and powerful, Susie. Yeah. I, I want to, so in this, I'd like to talk about Alzheimer's for a second, if you don't mm-hmm. mind. Sure. Because I find that Alzheimer's is definitely the shifting of consciousness. And uh, I've, I've, been, I've been around it a little. I've, you know, I didn't, I haven't been close in like you were. Mm. So being a, a grandmother had it, it was interesting. It is, yeah. I, but my takeaway and so my ponders on it is a state of consciousness is a shifting mutable experiences how we it's like a detaching process in a strange way it's like um if you're so for me i'll use myself as an example i and this is this is probably too personal the you know I've, i'm really attached to the stories that i tell myself i think we all are and sure. so you know, one of the stories is i've got really fucking great stuff <laughs> right 
<laughs> I've got like the perfect witch cottage. Mm-hmm. It's like the Adams family complete with the real deal. No hot topic here. Okay. <laughs> you know, all that. And so these are stories we tell ourselves. This is stuff we're attached to and mm-hmm. identity stuff. And so something like Alzheimer's comes in. Mm-hmm. And it rearranges your actual memories, the timelines, your attachment to things and things that are the stories of your life. Uh, it's like it's a process. You get to see a raw process of letting go mm-hmm. in the passage of what death is. Yes, it's really, really interesting. Now that it's behind me, I can really kind of see it more clearly. And the first, like, 10, 15 years were like regressing in time, mm-hmm. sort of like, so Alzheimer's strips away. It strips away your short-term memory first. It strips away the things that were your rewards, you know, your accomplishments, mm-hmm. all the things that you sort of prided yourself on. I was talking about this funeral. It's sort of like, it takes away all the things, all your pretensions, all the things you thought you were, all the things you took for granted. Yeah. And bit by bit it sort of strips you down and you know and you can see the regression in terms of like you know my father always liked to do puzzles so he could first do you know a 300 piece puzzle and then 200 150 you know until he couldn't do puzzles at all and so you see this sort of like going backwards in time you know the memories also recede in time so you lose the most recent ones first and then as you go further into the disease you get down to the core memories. And um, so, you know, so my father never forgot, you know, that he grew up as a little boy in Shanghai. And he, and he never, I think the one thing that was most remarkable to me is that he never lost um, his sort of friendly, friendliness towards people, which happens a lot in Alzheimer's so much so that uh, people consider paranoia a, a symptom of the disease in its late stages. But my father never was like that because I think temperamentally he simply was a person who was very open to everything. And so he did not experience that particular horror. But the other thing that I noticed is that, you know, when I would go to see him in the last couple of years, he didn't know me, you know, he didn't, um, he couldn't really speak not in coherent sentences. It was always sort of a word salad, but the rhythm of conversation was still there. Mm-hmm. So you know, he would say something and I would say something and, you know, it would sound if you were like not a speaker of English, but thought it was just another language, you know, it would sound like a regular conversation. It's just, you know, clearly <laughs> if you, if you were there and trying to make sense of it, there was no sense to add. So, you know, there was an impulse that, remained towards sociability, towards connecting with other people. And, you know, it seemed to me that Alzheimer's could take everything away except mm-hmm. that desire to connect to others. So. It, there's something about it that reminds me of the descent into the underworld, you know, the journey of Inanna. I mean, all yeah. cultures have that descent mm-hmm. where you come to these gates and you're stripped of your titles and then, you know, down to nothing. Your mm-hmm. clothes are at one gate. Your mm-hmm. all your fancy tools. Yes, all the stories we tell ourselves about That's ourselves. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. we live around the clutter. It's uh, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And it almost makes you think that you know, in, if you 
I don't know, if you if you imagine what happens after death, you would think that the soul would have to give everything up then anyway. And it's almost like Alzheimer's kind of does it for you. <laughs> See, this is the core of what I find fascinating about yeah. Alzheimer's mm-hmm. is it seems like instead of the, it seems like an exo process of what I imagine goes yeah. on internally. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think of it. That could well be. So it's intriguing. I I think about it a lot. And one of the things is it's on the rise. Mm. It's one of those things that's on the rise as far as at least statistics. Yes, yes. And, you know, I don't know exactly. I think it's one of those things that are triggered by genetic factors but also environmental factors yes Um, you know they're always looking at inflammation but there's i wouldn't be surprised if you know the connection between stress and inflammation and the anxieties that are sort of uh regularly produced by the world we live in right now i would be very surprised if that weren't all related yeah i I think (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think it's definitely related. I mean, we're living in a very interesting time period where there's a lot of toxicity in our foods and air and all that Mm -hmm. could be contributing. So around... I got a question. Oh, carry on. Hold up there. You were talking about, you you were talking about um, the person's still there, but they can't make the connections, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to compare this. I would, my thinking along that line was that maybe it's a dis- disillusion of the ego. A slow could but, well be. And it reminded me of a conversation we had with Jason Liu, who kind of pretty much stated that he didn't think ego existed; that it was just the culmination of the all of your experiences, and that's presents as your ego. So Mm -hmm. if you can have a connection with that person, that consciousness behind the fucked up brain kind of disproves that theory that ego doesn't exist. Right, right, exactly. There's something that's definitely dismantled. And if it's not the ego, I don't know what. But I'll tell you another example that's kind of interesting. I have an uncle with Alzheimer's who was spent his entire life in the foreign service, you know, the consummate diplomat very thoughtful, you know, you would be around him and always looking to make sure that you were comfortable, that you were, you know, totally taken care of, the most considerate person you ever met. Anyway, so he has Alzheimer's now. And a couple years ago, we had a Thanksgiving reunion, like we often do. And all the food was sort of laid out in a buffet. And, uh, and his normal self would have deferred to everyone and sort of let everyone go first, well, this new self went straight for the best pieces. And he took like 10 minutes to select the perfect piece of turkey, right? <laughs> and he was not going to let anyone get in his way. And I was just like, you go for it, man. You know, good for you. Oh, that is hilarious. I love it. I immediately think of a Virgo. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, that is good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's something like freeing in that yeah yeah drives everyone around you bananas but still (laughs) (laughs) in in the in the process of your papa's transition you know during especially during the later stage what were your dreams what was going on in your dream world in that period of time 
Well, it depends. It was such a long, long period of time, you know. Um, so how did so, they evolve? Yeah, I think that I remember I went through therapy towards the end of the time that he was living with us because it was so hard. You know, I was um, I had a I had a wonderful friend slash therapist who I traded editing services for therapeutic services with over the course of two or three years. And, um, and I remember talking to him about my dreams because I had a lot of those guilty getting away with something dreams because my father was living in my house and I was, you know, I had two small kids and I was trying to pursue my writing career as a paid uh, journalist. And my dad was constantly, you know, coming in, you know, bothering me about every little thing. Where are my glasses? You know, like that kind of a thing when they're on his head. So, and that was, I was constantly getting irritated with him and I felt terrible about it. So I had a lot of dreams at the time about, you know, me committing crimes and trying to get away with it. And, um, and you know, what's funny, this is, I have to sort of express this in tarot because that's one of my languages and, uh, and, and it's very fundamental to the way I see the world. So my moon, I told you it's an Aquarius moon. It's in the final decan, 27 degrees of Aquarius. And the card associated with that in tarot is the seven of swords, which is actually in the system of correspondences I use, also associated with the moon. So it shows a guy um, sneaking off with seven swords. <laughs> it is like the sneakiest yes, card in the right deck. Right away image, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I call it the card of the divided mind. And it's really a card of um, saying one thing and doing another. So there was an immense amount of that going on for me, constantly stealing from time from one place to do other things, you know, and putting it other places and feeling really guilty about that. You know, so that's what my dreams were like a lot of the time during that period. I've always thought of that card as a cleanup crew. You're on a cleanup <laughs> crew. Yeah. And well, you know, I can understand that because I think fundamentally it's a card about resourcefulness mm -hmm. and um, resourcefulness can be positive or negative. It could be thievery, but it could also be being shrewd like Odysseus. It can be, you know, cleaning up because you see some utility in the stuff that other people have left behind and being, you know, smart about repurposing or upcycling that. So Use it I as think, foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. A constant uh, a willingness to, to experiment and try and, uh, try and make things work out one way or another. Yeah. Sorry, Nish. <laughs> no, that, that it actually brings me right into to some of the mechanics of how you dream, Susie. Mm -hmm. How so? Since there's such a tarot is all symbolic, and also it's mathematic with the the astral climate, the astrology of it. Uh, <laughs> how does this heavily affect how you dream? Did it change at any point when you got into the tarot? I think so. I think so. I mean, it's, I've been in tarot for 20 years, so it's, it's a little hard to say, but um, I definitely feel like my, my symbolic language has consolidated around symbols in the tarot. And like every once in a while, I'll actually get some, um, some tarot stuff in my dreams, which is weird because it's sort of like 
it's as if you got a book that you could read, right? Which is hard to do in dreams, period. You know, usually you can't. Right. Yeah, right. it's uncommon, for sure. It's uncommon. It's uncommon. And so that's, that's always weird when I see, when I see a tarot reading. Um, although, you know, here's a really funny example of one of those. I can find it in my notes here. So, uh, yeah, so I dreamed that my daughter and I went on a field trip with her, with her class to the, to the museum. It was like a historical museum or a science museum or something. Anyway, we got separated from the group. And when I, um, when I <laughs> was coming down the stairs, we were sort of peeking in the exhibits. And it was sort of like, uh, sort of like there was a room set aside that had been sort of chained off with the velvet rope like it was some famous old person's um, uh, room, like Emily Dickinson or some, something like that, you know, or some kind of writer or poet. And on the table, there was a tarot reading. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of cool. I, I, I should look at that. So I looked at it, and it had like five or six cards. Um, and I noticed that the reading had been altered from the original. Um, I don't know what I knew about the original reading, but I knew how it was supposed to be. And the reading included the moon, the two of cups, uh, maybe the seven of pentacles. But I knew that that was supposed to be the star, not the moon. And it was really weird that, you know, on reflection, I realized, okay, this is, this is not quite right. <laughs> so that's weird. Not only not only, you know, bringing the codes, bringing the symbols into the dream, but then doing the Virgo thing and being like, I'm going to edit that. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. What, so when you came back to consciousness or to the, you know, whatever this is, waking life, did, how, what was your take on that? Yeah. So I started trying to interpret it a little bit, but it was a little hard to, um, interpret. And what I think is actually really interesting is that my dream maker substituted the moon for the star, almost like, uh, you're sleeping, it's nighttime, you know. This is what <laughs> Look you at that. when you're saying that. It was, it's really astounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sort of feel like, you know, a lot of these dream signs, that was a particularly interesting one, but um, water is a constant dream sign for me as well. But, but as to the reading, you know, the moon and then the Two of Cups and the Seven of Pentacles. You know, the Two of Cups is an interesting one. That's the two people raising their glasses to each other. Um, it's interesting because it's, uh, first of all, because I was with my daughter, it's astrologically connected to her, but also because there is that, um, alchemically in that card, there's a sort of striving to achieve the great work. There's a sort of like, unification of above and below, which, of course, you know, I think in the dream context could have to do with trying to understand this, you know, this subconscious world with my conscious mind, hence the card. So there was that commentary. And then the seven of pentacles is also known as the Lord of Failure. <laughs> so, so maybe I was yes. really not <laughs> succeeding. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking about when I woke up. I was like, oh, shit, I really missed an opportunity here. <laughs> I, I love that this is, I think you, you're bringing in a lot of new 
new dream imagery that or at least some of it is a some of it's brand new mm-hmm. from Knox Mente episodes. And some of it is very uncommon, which I'm loving. Mm. Is how so on the mechanics of the dreaming itself, how do you perceive the dreamscape? Uh, this is really interesting. So um well, first of all, you know, I actually have a place I go before dreaming each night um, as I go to sleep. I have a whole, I mean, I've never had trouble sleeping, but I like to make a little party out of it because I enjoy it so much. So I, you know, before I go to sleep, I have sort of this place I go in my mind where it's sort of like, uh, it reminds me a little bit of the Eight of Cups, actually, that sort of, you know, moonlit uh landscape where you're descending towards a body of water i and, love that card by yeah, the way I've always i loved love it. that card too it's great isn't it everything's all set up you can go you know it's like- <laughs> exactly. exactly sometimes i have like a little place to sit on the banks if i feel like sitting there sometimes i put a little all through there but there's always mm-hmm. a boat to get in yes. at some point so that's that's where i go and i also have gotten in the habit these days of um reciting the hymn to uh, the Orphic hymn to sleep and the Orphic hymn to dream before I go to bed, sort of a prayer practice. So the Orphic hymns are this um, wonderful set of hymns that a lot of occult practitioners use for invocation because they're great. They basically, you know, there's one for every planet, every god, for seasons, for, you know, everything you can imagine. And they're basically strings of epithets, very good for magic. And um, so I got really interested in them because I was a person who studied um, Greek in college, and I thought, well, this is one thing I can do with my classics degree. (laughs) So I started um, memorizing Orphic hymns in Greek, and I used the seven planetary ones as part of ritual in the morning. But at night, before I go to sleep, uh, I use the, the ones to sleep and dream. And they're actually a final triptych, those uh, in the Orphic Hymns series, it's sleep, dream, and death. They're all considered siblings. So I use those two um, before I go to sleep. Now, and as I fall asleep, I can, I'm always seeing faces, you know, things. And as a person who is a bit head blind most of the time, this is wonderful because, you know, you know, when you're journeying and you're like, I cannot make this go i this is i'm making this all up i'm you know it's not working but at that moment before you go to sleep you you get all this stuff for free (laughs) and it's great it's like you know you see faces you see you know weird little spirits i don't know do you get that too i do for real yes (laughs) i've had lately where i'm getting uh lines Diagonal lines, but really close together, almost like a, really? a grid pattern. It's really weird. It looks digital. Is it Sounds like a like color? But, sorry, it's a white background, black lines. Like barcode, man. Yes. <laughs> no, it's more like think like a herringbone pattern. That kind of <gasps> thin line. So, like, I'll, it's right when you're about to fall asleep, you get the I'll get this flash of the white background, the lines, and then it, it's one of those things that snaps me back out of it. But yeah, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Are they kind of like algorithms, Jer? No, they're completely static. It's just like... Um, like you were up against somebody's tweed jacket like this? <laughs> no, it's more like the, the background for a, a chroma key setup. Mm. It's something that the camera can focus on and like paint over. 
Gotcha. So it's like yeah. it's almost as if my reality shifted away and I can see the backdrop. That's suggestive, Ooh, man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Wow. Weird. Weird. That's why I think I'm an AI. Oh. Huh. <laughs> well, see, we are we comment with the woo, Susie. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're all AIs, not just me. I mean. Mm. Mm. Fair enough. So the actual landscape of my dreams is almost always overcast. Uh, it's gray sky. And every once in a while, I'll get, you know, clear weather. And that's unusual and remarkable. But it's almost always gray sky, no matter where I am. And I do have, like, normal places that are dreamscapes for me. I'll dream about New York two or three times a week because I lived there for so long. I dream about um, being in publishing again. I dream about my childhood home. So most, most of my dreams are set in places I sort of know. Um, some of the, sometimes they're set in places around here as well. But maybe one-seventh to one-tenth are in places I don't know. It's definitely not the majority. And I know you sometimes ask people if they dream in color or not. And, I've, and so I've been thinking about this for a while. Do I dream in color? So I don't consciously notice color, but I think I would notice if it were black and white. And I remember I had a dream two or three weeks ago where I was preparing food, which is something I do a lot in dreams as well as in real life. And I was taking out a dish of sweet potatoes from the oven. Notice they were orange. So there was definitely color there. It was like this orange, right? Oh, so it, yeah. was, yeah. it was definitely there. Yeah. That's interesting. I, um, I, love, that, I love that you come with awareness of Knox Mente, first of all. <laughs> that is, it's, it, really, it feels good. Mm. The, the fact that the color shows up, though, I do think a lot of times we don't think about it because we're just in the experience mm, exactly exactly all seems perfectly normal at the time yeah yeah so and i'm always interested when i hear people talk about black and white because my dreams are predominantly color and then when i go lucid things get hyper yeah know, so I bet. Hyper. i bet yeah and so uh it's it's just those things and i think by even asking the question and pondering on yourself and this is with anything in the dream, we mm -hmm. set that up. I think you're absolutely right for the same reason that we ask ourselves, like during the day, are you dreaming? You know, yes. try and set yes. that up. Yeah, 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 yeah. And okay, and so in the architecture of the dreamscape, so when, you, when you're visiting places you know, mm -hmm. obviously, you know like the New York scapes, Mm -hmm. Or do they shift from how they were, how they are in, 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 in basically in reality there, where it feels, you know, it's that same building, but it's different in the dreamscape, but it's that same building. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a lot. Um, so, uh, I know, I know Manhattan quite well and I'm constantly having dreams where I start, you know, where I'm traveling up and down one side of the Island or the other. So I'll start like way up in the East. 90s or 80s and walk all the way down to you know to the east village and you know and there's also in my mind there is sort of like a um mythic new york that's different that i will visit from time to time and i've seen it a number of different times 
where I still have a sense of uptown and downtown, but it looks like nothing like New York, right? It's doesn't have, <laughs> it's like depopulated and dystopian and weird and, you know, with sea monsters and stuff. So, uh, so that's oh, different. Wow. <laughs> wow. Sigmund the sea monster, maybe. Shallow. Uh, well, you must know where this is going to, where I'm coming at now. So you mentioned sea monsters here. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is something I'm deeply interested in. And you mentioned water earlier, and I was, I was working around to it. Let's get into water and oh, yeah. sea monster stuff. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so there is, uh, water is just like, I, I think it's very rare for me to have a dream without water in it, either in the form of rain or puddle, puddles or pools or rivers or lakes or something. And I was just thinking this morning, why don't I realize it's a dream? You know, that's like a clear tip off. But, um, but yeah, so, and I really do think that, I don't know, it's, it's a signal to me that, you know, that I'm, 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 I'm working backstage but I wish I could be a little bit more aware of it. I had a really interesting experience um, with rain in the dream. Uh, let's see, when was this? Probably, uh, it was last summer, I think. And so um, I had actually done a, uh, a working uh, with, so my, I had one of my friends in the occult community is the uh, Renaissance uh, astrology astrologer magician Chris Warnock, and he had led a. Mm, oh wait, no, this was a different one. Sorry. Okay, so that's a different lucidity dream. But okay, so here's here's a different one that happened in I guess April of last. So I was in my classroom at Smith College, where I teach in the springtime. I'm in my bathroom, whatever, and there's like all this audio equipment in there. And, uh, and I leave the classroom and I go walking through the courtyard. And what's weird about this situation was that I had actually done a magical working uh, because there was some kind of awesome astrological moon electional going on. And I was like, well, you know, what do you do when, when the moon is in good condition and you get to ask for stuff? Ask for interesting dreams. Ask for lucidity. So that's one of the things. So that night I had this dream where I was walking through the courtyard at Smith College and um, under an overhang. And I noticed that it was raining. And as the rain hit me, I realized this is a dream. And it was almost like very gently the rain sort of like woke me up inside the dream. And I thought, okay, the most the most important thing I need to do is stay lucid. And because I am the kind of person who can only stay lucid for like one second <laughs> because I get so excited. So, uh, so I'm trying to stay lucid and, you know, and I, and I, um, and I'm looking at the, looking at the, uh, at the ground and I'm on roller skates and I'm trying to look at my feet and everything just sort of dissolves as I'm going. But, um, but what was great about that dream was that sense that, it was a connection to what I had done early in the evening, the sense that if not causal, then definitely correlative, that this sort of work with the moon had something to do with the rain in my dream and the effect that it had on me within the dream. So that was really interesting. 
Um, sea monsters, yes. Uh, it's pretty regular for me to be in the ocean in dreams and to find weird stuff there. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes mm, ominous creatures that are actually quite friendly and sometimes the reverse. Um, and I often have sort of James Bond sequences as well <laughs> in the ocean. <laughs> Those are always fun. I have a lot of river dreams because I grew up on a river. You know, New York's bounded on two sides by rivers. So um, I often will, I have sort of a classic flying dream in New York, in the New York dystopia, where if I get lost, I just follow the river. And that happens a lot. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all I can come up with. When so some of the the sea creatures, do they? I'm I'm looking for details as to how they appear. Okay, so especially um, the darker, scarier ones. Yeah, so I can only remember one that was really. Okay, so the there's there's a situation in New York where the East River is full of monsters, but I never really see them. So. I never actually get to see those. But then there's it's another... It's probably true. Yes, yes. It's probably not fiction or dream at all. It's just a fact. <laughs> and then, um, but then there's another, there's another one I had in the ocean where, um, in the actual ocean where I believe there was like some kind of, I would see like just a hint of it kind of a thing coming out of a shipwreck or something like that. And I, you know, it's that, that thing in, uh, in dreams where you don't know whether to look closer or run away and you're sort of paralyzed. Um, and uh, so, so there was, yeah, that, there was definitely, definitely one of those where it was sort of like a multiple armed weird I don't know what, never saw the entire body, but um cephalopod like I have had that as well. Um I had one where <laughs> I had one that was tarot related where I was uh, uh hanging out with the tarot friend in a hotel and he was showing me some new deck he got and there was a card on it that had this very clear red cephalopod octopus uh on a blue background um and i was really excited to see that one i think that's the cthulhu tarot it might be <laughs> <laughs> there, there is yeah. such a thing i have a well, i used to have it. i um, bet i, used to I have bet it. i gave it to someone yeah that sounds really hard to um divine with though <laughs> Something is coming. Something I, else is coming. <laughs> I never actually used it. I really, I really only use my thought deck. Yeah, well, thought is great. Yeah. Thought's great as well. Yeah. I, no, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I'm looking also, I also, um, it's very normal for me to see normal creatures, you know, barracuda, shark, fish. Yeah, yeah. Dolphins. Dolphins. Um, yeah, kind of all of the above. All of the above. But uh, but it's not like they're, it's sort of like in real, it's really quite like in real life where you don't have a real relationship with them. It's just a sense of awe and maybe fear being mm -hmm. up close. Yeah. Is there 
So also with, since we're talking about kind of others in the dreamscape, what about other things, other, so other things that can fall into, and this is where, you know, I think heritage plays a lot in this. So whether mm-hmm. it's like the Fae, the Hallow, you know, um, aliens, wherever, however you want to dress, you know, what garb you want to put on the other. Yeah, I think, see, I'm keeping my dream documents up here. Um, uh, let's uh, so I can see. Oh, so this is the one I was trying to remember. Okay, so the the monster in the sea um, was under an oil rig. And uh, yeah, they were kind of sticky and scary and alien. That's how I just found that by keyword. Um, so yeah, there are, there are sometimes aliens and there are definitely talking creatures. Um, Do you know there were stories of... Um some kind of monster summoning ritual around the whole Deepwater Horizon incident. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. What were, do you know what, in what tradition it was? I actually heard it was someone trying to summon Cthulhu. <laughs> but I've wow. also heard Leviathan too. So, I mean, it could be either. Oh it's, my God, you just, cannot make this up. You keep triggering me on all this shit I remember. Like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I love these juicy details, Jerry. <laughs> I didn't even tell you about whatever else I wrote down here. I forgot where I wrote it, but whatever. Oh, oh that's great. Well, can I've also, get, Jerry, can you get the information on that for like our notes and stuff? If I can, I would totally it might have been love in a video. To hear you know. about that? Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I'm I've looking. also had the experience of like being the alien as well. So. For example, I had this one where, um, or being the other, I guess you would say. I had one about body snatching. Is that a common one? Do you get body oh, snatching? Oh, please, please give me those <laughs> uh, it's, it's a common, it's a theme with a private group of people I talk to where mm-hmm. I'm getting information from. No kidding. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's like you only need to see one of those body snatching episodes in pop culture, whether it's like Star Trek or, you know, or one of the 60s sci-fi movies to like have that stick with you for life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The 70s one really affected me with Donald Sutherland. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. That was terrifying. That was absolutely terrifying. Truly terrifying. And it still holds up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I had one of those where... um, so where these body snatchers come and they have, you know, they're taking people over. And the problem is that they're, they, once they do it, they can't quite figure out how to work the bodies, <laughs> only how to push the people out of them. So they're kind of like walking around in this kind of klutzy way. Anyway, so, but the good thing about this situation in this dream is that once you're pushed out, you can take other forms um, while somebody else has your body. So, uh, so I'm hiding because the body snatchers can see me, although others can't. And I'm hiding as like, hiding as a rabbit under a bush and I'm talking to a cat. (laughs) So the cat looks at me and says, hmm, not quite human, not quite animal either. (laughs) (laughs) The cat knew. Oh yeah, it was great. (laughs) Is that is that all that happened around that? Pretty much, yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Well, I, I wrote down that I befriended it and it started to help. So I, I actually have a lot of those nice resolution type 
somebody helps me out in my shitty situation. Do you recall how you got pushed out of your body? Um, I don't remember the mechanics, just that I knew it was going to happen and that it did, you know, like that. Was there, so the, whatever it was that took your body, pushed you out, do you have, did you get any visuals of that before it was incarnate in your body? Not that I recalled at the time I was writing the dream. So I don't think so. And now when I'm thinking back on it, all I remember was seeing people walking around, clearly not themselves. Yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. You would be surprised at how much of that comes, yeah. comes around. Uh, and so even on that, like in, in a very, on the very surface level of waking life in the horror genre, Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we have that symbol of that through like say the zombie the various various forms of zombieism mm-hmm. where the per, you know the personality's gone the persona's gone and it's just base functioning whether it's eating brains or not whether it's fast or slow <laughs> but there it's basically like the mind the mindless right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Have you had any of those kinds of zombieish things pop up Mm, not so much. I don't think. Um, not, not to recall. I, I think that you know. I think. Um, I mean, like anybody, if I watch something, then it immediately gets adopted for content, right? So if I were, if I watched The Walking Dead or something, then sure, that would be there. But it's not like a core theme for me personally. If that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. Of course. And we have to always take all that stuff into consideration what we're being front loaded with. Exactly. I mean, it's literally, I will take that shit, whatever it was I just watched, and it will just keep watching it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're chewing on it. Yeah. 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 Also, so what I want to hear about the experiences of lucidity. And I agree, they do seem, for me, they're, they're pretty. They're brief. They can be many within one dream, but when they happen, mm-hmm. when I realize it's happening, I always pop out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's just too exciting. You know, it's just like, and it's, and I did, I was able to incubate it for, uh, there was a period on my, uh, probably 10 years ago, less, less, five to seven years ago, where I was um, reading Stephen LeBurge and, you know, trying to do everything. And, and I, and I went on vacation so I could sleep in and I had some successful lucidity there, but, uh, but in general, it's not something I'm terribly good at. Um, I have one here. Okay. So I have about four records lucid dreaming where I had one where I was um, looking at a piano because that was my instrument. I was um, looking at it with, with my cousin and I look at the label in the middle, and if it's my piano, it should say Baldwin, because I had a Baldwin piano, and it doesn't, um, and the font keeps changing. So, you know, it looks like Boffin, Boggin, Baboon, you know? So I was like, okay, that's what words do when you're dreaming. And I yes. said to my cousin, I'm dreaming, I'm lucid dreaming, I'm afraid I'll wake up. So, so I try to stabilize it by looking down at her shoe, at her shoe, at my bearings, and it was weird because she was wearing these like battered brown leather. Like my cousin doesn't do a very stylish girl. So anyway, once I finally got stable, maybe the hiking boots helped. 
I say, you know, it's a lucid dream. I can do whatever I want. What do you want to do? And my cousin says, how about we do that flying thing? <laughs> so, um, sure, I say. And we go over to the front steps because obviously you need a little height. <laughs> so I jump off and I manage to fly a little bit. But um, inevitably, I, I'm wearing an incredibly huge black backpack. And I just can't get off the ground. I mean, I think I got like a tiny, like a few feet and then back to the ground. And I wrote down, next time, I'm going to try and get rid of that baggage. <laughs> yeah, get rid of the baggage, girl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So much baggage. <laughs> and then the time that I started telling you about before was, um, oh, yeah. So the one with my, my friend, Chris Warnock, who did dream working. So I had specifically done that working to try to gain lucidity. And it was a working to the angel Hanael, who is the angel. And uh, you could you could ask for either a prophetic dream or a lucid dream, and I went from so um, and I hadn't had a lucid dream in a really long time. So that night I was trying to in my dream I was trying to copy a syllabus on a copier, and the copier was not working because dream machines don't work, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and it was so dumb because I went lucid right at that moment, and you know you're lucid, you could do anything. And I said to myself, well, since this is the dream, there is no reason I shouldn't have my copies if I want them. <laughs> so, you know, I went lucid in my dream and all I got out of it was like collated and stapled copies. <laughs> oh, that is, it, but that is so common. They're usually yeah. so mundane like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the last one I had was really, really seriously occulty. It was a really good one. Um, it had to do with the Hebrew letter Hey, which is part of the divine name, Yod Hey Vav Hey. And, you know, it's super, I also have, like, this is kind of in line with the millions of dreams I have that are about words and codes and very hermetic and this stuff happens all the time. So anyway, I'm thinking about the letter Hey and how it sort of looks like, a, I don't know, like a staple with a gap in it. And I was thinking about, you know, the way those two two uh, legs are very stable, stable, but the gap allows you to take a breath. And so I look down at my feet and I'm thinking about that. And, um, and I realize while I'm standing there that there's a difference between inhale breath and the exhale breath. The inhale one is the circumstances, the things that are given to you. And the exhale breath is the action, the things that you do. And I just stayed there for a while and thought about that. And that actually became part of my practice after a while um, in real life. So, you know, lucid, lucid dreams can really give you gifts, you know. I've totally heard that the exhale breath is a creative force. It's where the energy yeah. is. It's um, my, a guy named Mike Emery in the UK talks about it and how controlling your breathing. And he does uh, healing circles where they. Mm -hmm. They make a vortex of energy and send it someone's way. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think that those people who do breath work are seriously into something. It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not talking about breathinary, breath, breatharianism. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't think that's what you're talking about either. So mm -mm. just making that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but breath work is, <clears throat> is a serious occult practice. And if you can tap into that 
it's amazing feats that can be unlocked through it. Absolutely. Absolutely true. I believe that to be the case. I've also gotten like, you know, dreams, man. They, they've given me some really important pro- parts of my practice. I mean, like I woke up one morning and I've talked about this on other podcasts, but I woke up one morning and that's sort of like you're lying there clawing back whatever you can remember from your dream as long as you can. But I remember sort of like washing up on the shores of consciousness and I had this phrase in my mind. This happens a lot, but this one, I, had, I knew it was important for me to remember. And the phrase was, within results are differences. Differences are offerings and offerings are results. So I was able to figure that out pretty quickly, you know, in terms of the frame that I look at the world, because it's a divination statement. Basically, you know, the, the way I understood that, the within results or differences means that when you look at a card, there are multiple ways you can interpret it. Differences are offerings means that when you interpret it and choose a meaning, you're offering that back up to you know to the world behind worlds to the to the magical blueprint whatever it is and then offerings are result means that that forms your new reality so that phrase has become a really fundamental part of my practice and you know and really integral to the way i understand how divination and magic work so you know i would not have gotten that on my own it just came to me that's this is again this is such an occult when you get yourself into this mind frame of what can what's possible with Mm -hmm. that state of consciousness that where where we inhabit the dream realm the dreamscape yeah there's so much that's possible just tangibly possible to unlock in waking life alone absolutely i mean and i really feel like you know every night there's there's you never know it's like no matter how controlling you are during the day, you never know what you're going to learn at night. And that's part of what's so wonderful about it. it exactly. It never gets old. It's the, it, there's always like a freshness. There's always another level you can work on or work towards. And especially when we think about what are the powers within the dream, which are everything that, you know, we become our own blockages, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I really think that, you know, dreams hold the key to really, in a way, to understanding how to mm, solve life, (laughs) in a way, in the sense that, like, we are meaning machines living in a field of meaning, and that dreams sort of expose the mechanics underneath that and, you know, allow you to see how this is happening all the time. And, the way that, you know, your relationship with meaning changes your reality. So I really think that, you know, a lot of the fundamental questions about that people ask about divination and magic, you know, did it really happen? Did I cause it? You know, is it a coincidence? Blah, blah, blah. It all has to do with that relationship with meaning and the perspective you have, you bring with your subjectivity to the reality around you. And that whether you're causing the change or announcing it, as my friend likes to say, or whether, you know, you're the source of the reality or the reality is happening to you, they're really moot questions. They're really, you know, quite meaningless when you come right down to it because 
um, because you are trying to parse that distinction with the wrong mechanism, with the brain that cannot understand that. So, you know, so I think that it's, there's a real, um, there's a real fundamental uh, key in dreams to understanding the nature of what we think is reality in waking life. I totally agree. One of my uh, favorite YouTubers for years and years, like eight years, she's gone into many things like the real witches of Orange County. And now she's like Mother Moon Pagan Monastery. Jacqueline DuPois always talking about this, how we're meaning making machines and how this, the stories we create around these meanings and how they're, you know, they're traps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm wondering, okay, so in this, I totally had, <laughs> of course, slow me I'm like on the, I'm sniffing the trail. <laughs> I'm on the trail and there's like a shiny apple and I got off the trail. Squirrel. Um, in, so in the states of lucidity, yeah, I mean, totally. Have you encountered others? So I, this is kind of a two-part thing. Mm-hmm. Encounter others that feel like they're not part of your own narrative and your own makeup. By others, you mean like persons or or autonomous, not you. No, no. So far, it's all been me. Um, There's been, mm, but I mean, I think that I I don't think that that means they aren't there. I think that it has to do more with my stage of development. I'm just not seeing that yet. But I definitely have had the sense of presence, um, particularly in dreams that are set in the natural landscape. So, you know, I might mm. have the sense of an animate stone, right, or tree without necessarily having what you would call communication. So um, planetary presences, you know, but then it's rarely, it's rarely lucid when that happens. So no, but I, uh, but I don't rule out the fact that it could, and I certainly hope it will. Yes. And so also on this, this, which is also kind of mechanics too, anything that has fallen under precognition I have had some psychic dreams. So I'm precognition, meaning, you know, as in about to happen, no, but simultaneous, yes. So, for example, um, probably, oh, gosh, here's a, here's a funny one. So I don't, you know, Ryan Peverly, right? From a culture? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Guy, great guy. So we're sort of friends, um, internet friends, and I dreamed that he sent me a parcel. And um, <laughs> and in this parcel, there were like a bunch of cards that were not tarot cards. I mean, that was the most interesting about, thing about them to me, that they were not tarot cards. But, uh, and they had words on them, and one of them said, drunken. Anyway, um, and there was another thing in the parcel, which was a package that I needed to deliver to the Buddhists in, in New York. I was in New York at the time and I needed to take them uptown to uh, Tibetan problem. Anyway, so I told Ryan about this dream and he's like, oh my God. (laughs) 
first of all, when you had that dream, I was hungover. <laughs> and oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was planning a trip to New York and he was about, he was doing the prep work to interview a Buddhist uh, on his show. So, you know, so it was sort of like, it was all there, but the usefulness, who knows? But, the, uh, well, the usefulness doesn't actually matter. Susie right. that is incredible. It, and, it, and that's what I'm saying. We, it's, it seems like in our meaning-making minds, too, especially that it has to be like astounding, like a world event. These mundane things, the more we push into them and acknowledge the greatness of synchronicity, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think is, is just phenomenal and can lead to maybe the bigger broader picture. it's just you know a peek behind the curtain the way i see it you know it's just something that shows you the way things really work yes indeed yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then probably the most um the most re remarkable one i ever had was a couple years ago where i was um at the time i i was very close friends over text with a, another tarot reader in australia talked about this on a couple of too where and uh, and because he was in Australia, you know, our times were opposite and 12 hours apart. So so when I was asleep, he was awake and vice versa. And I dreamed in the middle of, a, of the night that he was, you know, typing to me on Facebook Messenger, because that's how we talk, that he was he had type. I lost my keys. And um, and so I was, you know, typing back. Have you looked here? Have you looked there? You know, just trying to be helpful. Uh, and then the next day I woke up and it was just like one tiny little snippet of dream and like amidst hundreds of other dreams that night, of, you know, very sociable person in dreams as opposed to real life. So I talked to a lot of people, but I remembered this thing and, um, and I, and I chatted with him and I said, Hey, I had this dream last night and I dreamed you lost your keys. And he was like, I did lose my keys. I was like, no, you didn't. Get out of here. You're so funny. He had lost his keys. He never loses his keys. He had lost his keys. So um, exactly pretty much at the time when I had the game. So, you know, so that was sort of like my, um, that, that was a very mild sort of a breaking of reality, but it was a breaking of reality for me. Yes. You know? <laughs> it, it's quite significant. And, and yeah. the more we allow the idea, the meaning of it being significant to seep in, the deeper you can go with it. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what I, for me, that's what kind of happened. And so I really relish in the mundane stuff that yeah. pops up. Yeah. So, and, and then on this, what about deja vu? Deja vu. So yeah, um, I have, I think, two or three sort of regular um, deja vu occurrences, but not so much in recent years. So um, and definitely not in. Well, hmm, I'm 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 wondering if you're asking me in terms of the dream context, because of course there's recurrence in dreams all the time. But you mean in waking life? Well, I actually, I'm, I'm leaving that open. Oh, so okay. how it could tie into the dreamscape? How, what yeah. do you think in general? Okay, so there is, there's a couple of waking life deja vus that I have, which I'm not really bringing to mind, but I know the feeling producing me and is very similar to the feeling in recurring dreams. So for example, 
there is um there's a recurring dream i have that has um it's moving into a new apartment it's a that's the species but the sub species is walking into the vestibule uh and turning to the left and getting the mail out of it. which is of course something i did a million times but in the context of the dream, I also will frequently remember, oh, this is something I do in dream. You know, I've done this exact thing before millions and millions of times. And also what's weird about it is that there's, a, there's an apartment that I go to in dreams that is not one of my apartments that I lived in. It's like, and it's a place that I visited now in dreams probably four or five or six times. It's a really nice apartment complex on the East River. Um, with sort of courtyards and I've got a really nice place there so I hope I find it someday because <laughs> it's really nice um, so there's that that's that's really common then there's the flying through dystopia Manhattan that's that's a that's a deja vu dream for me um, oh yeah constantly being back at my office in Oxford University Press for when I worked for them I don't know why I'm always going back there but it's constant and it's super annoying because it was not my favorite time of life but it's just something that um i think it has to do with performance issues so yeah that's something that i recognize usually not usually but sometimes to be um a deja vu situation within the dream you could have some energetic tie to that place too oh god i hope not <laughs> <laughs> you never know Remember what people do, you know, yeah. when you're there, what other people do can tie your energy to a place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think is so? And I'm looking for the deepest. So let's not, not the surface level mechanics of it all. Mm -hmm. That, you know, that's, that's all fine and good. I want to, I want your kind of deepest inner standing of what what's really going on with this the, the bridge between how we experience waking life and the dreamscape and what the broader picture is how do you see this whole thing what is this whole experience of consciousness about and i know that's a gigantic question but it, if you could yeah. <laughs> you know like there i think it, it points so we have glimpses of it and so yeah um so you're not talking about mechanics but you are talking about model so um i do think that you know as a person who works with symbol and a person who works with magic i do think that when we go back there you know in dreams we're 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 trying to reshape reality and i think that maybe we actually do i think that there's you know obviously as you said there's a lot of different mechanics that people use to try and get backstage but i think that we're doing it constantly all the time on purpose 
or not on purpose, awake or not awake. We're constantly messing around with that stuff. And I think that the dreaming life just allows us to um, get some understanding of what that might be like, what that, what that work is like, or what that, um, what that agency in the world is. So to me, if you can get better understanding and comfort with what's going on with you each night, then that naturally translates to better understanding and comfort with waking reality as well. And I also think that that helps us grapple with bigger questions of life and death as well, um, of what's beyond and what's before, what we know to be our conscious life. So, you know, it's, it's all tantalizing glimpses, but I don't think you ever waste your time by trying to understand better. Oh, I agree. I think that, in fact, I think that these ponders are important. Absolutely. So, you know, in terms of what's going on, I think that model-wise, that um, when I say that we live in a field of meaning, that that extends to pretty much everything. So, you know, that the part of us that is starved for meaning in real life has only to look <laughs> and to find, you know, the intention and the will, you could even say, to find the meaning for it to be there. And I believe that that means that there's meaning in everything animate and inanimate. And by meaning, we don't just mean something that's passively uncovered by our meaning maker. We mean meaning that everything has a meaning maker and that it's contributory and participatory and ubiquitous. So, yes. you yes. know? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and everything that's is right. an expression of it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. Totally. That's usually what I mean when I say reality is democratic. Is yes. We're all participating in this. And subjective at the same time. But the gravity that where, you know, you're there, Jerry, in, in Georgia, and Susie's in, in Massachusetts. Western Massachusetts, yeah. Right, and people right. can land on the moon now because everyone believes they can. <laughs> right? Absolutely. I mean, there's, a, there's a, a gravity to our, a weight to our thought forms. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I think that there's this, um, I don't know, I'm getting a little bit over my skis here, but I, I just feel like, you know, we, you can't live as though, you know, you can't, you can't necessarily live as though everything's possible all of the time because you might go crazy. So I think that, you know, that there are rules and that, you know, there's something to be said on the materialist, materialist side for the rules of this physical universe, but it's good to understand that the rules are just a consensus. 
and that at some level, the rules can be changed. So probably not according to, the rules cannot be changed or broken according to the rules. They have to be changed or broken from outside. So I don't know, I sound like I'm stoned, but I think you know what I mean. I'm you, with you. No, you're <laughs> absolutely right. They have to be, the generation of the reality happens at a higher level, at an energetic level, and this is the, the result of it, the, the outcome. Right, right. I'm totally and, on board. And, so, and that energetic how? state can be is tied to the dream state, possibly the astral realm. And that is, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, that that is the creationary, co-creationary realm for work in this 3D reality. In this field, we're in, if we're in a reality field or if it's a planet or whatever the hell it is, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That all the, the reality is manipulated from this energetic dream state with, other people in, you know, in unison. So it doesn't have to always be collective. Right. And if you just look at the weirdness of real life, yeah. I mean, just, honestly. Just look in our chat room. Only it's I'm amping. Kidding. It's not following the rules. No. <laughs> well, no, I mean, <clears throat> for, for the most part, I see our reality breaking down or the status quo breaking down. The system is crashing. It's hard not to feel like that. Yeah, yes. I like it. I'm, I'm all for it. Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm, I got my popcorn. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I've got the mutable stuff to my chart, so I'm in, I enjoy the mutability of see, seeing it play out in tangible ways. Yeah, I'm Maybe just a mayhem so horror. Perfect. I just love mayhem, any kind. <laughs> Cue the commercials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do get very frustrated with um, the attitude you sometimes see that there's, you know, it's all going to shit, so you don't need to do anything about it. I do get frustrated with that because one of the side effects of having the beliefs about reality that I do is that you have a great deal of agency. Yes. You know, an enormous amount of agency. And, you know, you have, if not a responsibility to use it, you know, maybe a God given right to, you know, or, you know what I mean? So it's sort of like we, it's that thing, like when I was talking about the inhale and the exhale, you have circumstances and you have agency. And, you know, what we do in divination and magic is mess around with the formula of fate and free will so that you can deal with those circumstances and that agency and find a way to reshape them. So to me, that is something that, you know, I'm drawn to doing and I will always probably do. But also as a person who works in the divination space, I can see the deleterious effects of fatalism on people's lives. So no matter what the oh, my cat <laughs> it's not a show without the cat on the piano <laughs> that the cats you know they have a relationship with free will that <laughs> yeah so yeah, I mean, it I just knocked the like... thought out of my head too <laughs> sorry Jer. <laughs> oh man well you know that nobody can teach that cat anything about using your god-given agency operating <laughs> we needed that example right there that's just saturn fucking around 
I, I was going to ask about, uh, oh, you mentioned free will and predestination. And really, uh, that's, maybe that wasn't what I was going to bring up. I'll think about it some more. Well, you know, it's something that I think about. Like, it's like the number one question for me all the time, the question of agency or free will. You know, Gordon prefers to call it agency. Um, but I say free will because everybody has an idea of free will. And yeah, versus, and that's why I use it as well. Yeah, or determinism, or whatever you want to call it. And I, I, and I, and I really think that, you know, to be comfortable with those two things at once is to be comfortable with life, because, you know, you're constantly dealing with uncertainty, and you're constantly dealing with a varying level of ability to change that. So. I don't know. I think that I, I I think also that, you know, there's the wild card of what your um of your perspective that plays into that as well. So I don't know. I just think that especially if you work in one of these arts, you have to have a working theory for why you're doing it and what you hope to accomplish uh, and how that will affect your relationship with agency and determinism. It's, it's interesting because every time I think about it deeply, I just come to a, a point where there's no way to tell. So it just comes, it's like a faith thing for me. Yeah, and it's, it's constantly evolving for me as well. I mean, right now I sort of feel like, you know, the, the shape of the thing coming down the pike is there's definitely something right yeah, yeah. So like if you most astrologers i talk to are extremely fatalistic because you know you can see it in the clockwork of the chart but at the same time you have some choice over how that's going to manifest same thing with the tarot card within results are differences you look at it there's a million ways it could come the tower could hit you as like you know you bang your head or you crack an egg or you have a car wreck. So, you know, the amount of flex within that, I think, is something that you want to be able to work with. I just remembered what I was going to ask. That wasn't it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, the flexibility within, you've got a path, but the road is wide. Right? right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, or you have a, um, you know, or you, you, you have a, uh, a general shape but you get to fill in the details. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> you said you oh, have a path, but there Astro is what? Astrology. This was my other question. Um, there's some, uh, it's been my thought too, that perhaps that is a, um, a programming mechanism or a cage or mind prism, whatever you want to call it to make you think, to make you act that way because you think you should. Because that's what, you know, if you get a big natal chart done and this is you, well, this is you. And if <laughs> there's, there's a school of thought, and I think I've had these thoughts too, what if that is just part, an extension of the system, trying to get you to fit in well into the available slots here? Well, I think that that comes down to the appetite for fatalism generally mm -hmm. because it's not just astrology or tarot or whatever there's innumerable divinations 
right? You know, sure. you could be, read things in bones, you can read things in tea leaves, you can read the coffee grounds, puddles, entrails, cat but, box, cat box, exactly. yeah, meaning making machines, <laughs> exactly. And I think you know the traps are there no matter what, you know, and the freedom is there no matter what. Mm -hmm. It really is a question of which you choose to embrace. Yeah, no, it's just interesting. Yeah, no, but it's a really interesting thought. It really is an interesting thought. And I think that, um, in a sense, we prevent ourselves from going too far down that hole, for those of us who work in divination, by saying, okay, this is the this is mm -hmm. the space in which everything is meaningful. But then we put it away and we go and live our lives, you know, hopefully taking a little bit of what we learned in the Iraq session with us. But, you know, if you take that attitude with you all the time, you know, it is a trap. It's more pins, more strings, you mm -hmm. know, and you can right. really get yourself tied up in knots. And sure, and you shouldn't absolutely not do something just because, oh, my horoscope says I'm, you know, this way and I should do it this way and not do it this way, which I want to do it. You know, that's stupid. But I can see, I can see people doing that. I absolutely do because it's the desire for certainty. And the, the idea that, um, I, I mean, it's terrifying. It's FOMO, the too. Yeah. That you could uh, have control over your destiny at some level. It's absolutely Absolutely. Terrifying. That's so key. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also yeah. like the, there's the, the FOMO, the fear of missing out on being on the winning side. <laughs> there's that, too. Yeah. But I, you know, and I think that, like, but when people come to me for a reading, they're looking to shift the story. So, you know, and that they've come with one story and it's not working. And it's time for us to rewrite the story or make a different ending or say it's this kind of story, not that kind. Of story. Mm -hmm. And they can't do that on their own. You know, it's very hard to do that for yourself. So therefore, you know, for the moment where you are open to that change, Story, you come to someone who you view as an authority. And it's very easy to just, you know, kind of get lost in assigning the authority to somebody else. It's really a tool for that moment. Yeah. Who cuts the barber's hair, right? Right. Right. I love that, Jer. <laughs> <laughs> and so to, oh, man, I want to continue on with this, but we're at two hours, by the way. I know. So I'm going to move into my last bit and I'll gather that. questions. <laughs> so where does death play in all of this? So we can access different states of consciousness here, right? We can access memory. We can access dream. We can access active imagination, all, all this. We can, you know, ponder into a breathe into states of consciousness. Death somehow, ha and, and of course, before birth, they have this otherness to them, this, separ this apparent separation, mm -hmm. and which gives them more of a, an edge, right? There's yeah. a grit there. And, and especially anyone who's had a, dealt with the death of anything they love, anyone they love, you know, pets to relatives and you know, you understand like there's a void there. It's hard to even there's there are no words to mm -hmm. describe the void in in your physical life. 
what's going on with all that from where you stand? Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting because I was just thinking that I, rather than experiencing it as a void, I would say, and having been sort of newly exposed to grief, I can speak to the experience, it feels like vertigo. It's like standing over the abyss and it feels like your stomach's dropping out from under you, uh, like you're face to face with the unknown. And to me, maybe, you know, maybe it's not a void. It's just the absence of understanding, right? Because we're naturally afraid of what we don't understand or what we don't know about. So, you know, when I think of my father and my, you know, stomach drops out from under me and, and, uh, and I feel like all of a sudden I don't know where I am, maybe that's me, you know, being face to face with that other reality, right? With the world beyond worlds, with the, um, maybe that's, that's something that, that's a, the feeling of trying to do something in waking life that maybe you can only do in another state, in dream or in sleep or in trance or whatever, but that you cannot do it when you're trying to operate, you know, as a human being alive and awake in this world, which is really just this tiny moment, different, special, and weird. So, you know, so to me, just as you can process the same experience as negative or positive, I think that you can process that moment of that vertiginous moment of, you know, facing the unknown in either a positive or negative way. Or maybe you can just let it be and not try to force it to be one or the other. I like that, the, that let it be and let let the experience happen it, you know for me when i think of the void it, it, it's like i'm dealing with the death right like a real close up so i'm having a hard time even talking about it. i can't even mm -hmm. process and i'm trying to process it and mm -hmm. which is why i haven't been very social media oriented lately it, it's like it for me the void is so we create these, we have our patterns, right? We have our daily patterns with people, the closer in, and that's the void. So it's just like this hole that's created that nature will grow over. Nature grows over everything, right? And yeah. so it, it's more like, well, where am I in this process? Where are they? Where am I? Of course, you've heard me say this probably, that I don't believe in death in mm -hmm. this, in a, in a you know, in the esoteric, in the esoteric way. And, but I'm constantly trying to understand the strangeness of it and the intangibility yeah. of it, the way you can, you can't quite reach it. You can't quite touch it until you're there. Until you're there. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, that moment in the, oh, what's my favorite scene in Harry Potter where Sirius falls through the veil. You know, and he's there yes. one second and then he's gone, you know, yes. and, but he's so close. Yes. That was like the yeah. saddest ever thing I read in a Harry Potter book. <laughs> I read that. It was funny. It's devastating. It was. Absolutely it? devastating. But I was thinking about that and, you know, the experience of like looking out into the void like that, it's like 
you know, here you are on terra firma, like at the edge of the cliff and standing out over this abyss with the wind just blowing in your face and, you know, completely at a loss. And one of the things that people kept telling me over the last week or two, and which I'm so grateful for, is that they were holding space for me. And, mm. you know, and I thought, what does that really mean? And to me, it was almost like they were, you know, if you think about that metaphor, it's as if someone is saying, okay, you are facing the void, but I know where you are. I know where your space is, and I'm going to hold you there no matter what happens, right? That's what I like to think of when I think of that metaphor. And I think it's true because, you know, it's like you are facing something that is so dislocating, so disorienting, so um, capable of so powerful it can draw you out of what you believe to be normal that somebody has to hold your place for you while you're doing that. Mm. I like that. There's something very comforting in that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like what is, you know, if you think about just like the words holding space, what does that even mean? Right. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like space is nothing, but I always but, imagine it as that, uh, the person's going to imagine you were there with them. They're holding that space open. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's sort of like, you know, a recognition that you're a person and that you're there, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you don't feel like you are. Like, it's like you're standing online at the checkout. You got to go to the bathroom. They're holding your place for you. <laughs> <laughs> I bring it right down to the mundane. This Wash is very your hands on the way back. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. this has been fantastic. Do you, do you have questions, Jared? For I people? have one question from Talam. He would like to know if you had to put one deck in your bag and walk off into the wasteland alone, which <laughs> one are you taking with you? Oh God. So, um, you know, there are so many good answers to that question, but if somebody like, you know, put me, literally asked me that question with a gun to my head, because that's the only way I could answer it, it would probably be this little guy. Um, this is a version of the writer weight that my friend is Naya. Is that the Morgan Greer? No, no. It is the classic writer weight Smith, but it is a uh, vintage edition. So it looks like oh, nice. tea stained and old and cool. kind of battered but it's actually fantastically laminated so okay um, i use this all the time and you know uh i have to say that i always come back to it regardless i mean right now i'm using a really wonderful show you uh called the spirit within deck and this is cool it's all silhouettes and hey here's a dream card that's totally appropriate for what we're doing you fold yes seven of cups and eight <laughs> wands so i really like this <laughs> yes yeah 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 and this one's been great because it's brand new to me i started using it when my dad went into hospice and this is my deck for that journey so yes i'm yes. gonna keep using it until i feel that he's you know whether it's 30 days 49 days in the bardo i don't know but i'm gonna keep yes. using it till we're done with that work so six of swords really 
I use the ter- I use decks in that way too. Your Rider weight, look, my Rider weight deck is probably forty years old. So when you've showed that, it looks like mine. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't aged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's I, you know, I really love it, even though I know it's not it's fake aged, but it, and it's so it's so well laminated that I could like spill molasses on it and just throw it under the sink and it would be fine. Oh, so, that's hilarious. <laughs> but I just really like it. So, I love them I as they age. Uh, and I, I actually have given away many, many decks that I used for a very long time or for specific reasons, mm. because I believe there's some power in that transmission from one person to another with magical tools. Well, I think that like anything that you use a lot, first of all, has a certain amount of magic attached to it. But also, but something that you're using in this context of meaning where you're conversing with it and arguing with it, having dialogue every single day, that's powerful. Yes, indeed. And, and the things that have come to me that way also, I, I, I value the most. It's, it's like with my mom, of, I, didn't, I didn't get anything from her. You know, <laughs> people are so weird when someone dies. I just walked mm-hmm. away, but I did get one thing and it was this crystal she wore around her neck for almost, you know, most of her life. And I thought, this, and it came to me in a very strange way. It came to me roundabout. Someone snuck it to me. (laughs) Yes. And, and so. What kind of crystal is it? It's just a, it's a little amethyst ball in a silver setting that is just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And it, but crystals hold the energy, right? And I thought, how appropriate that this is what comes to me of her estate. This is where her energy is really truly she wore this every single day for her short life you know mm-hmm. wow that's what this is for me it's um just a it's a quartered cross and it's no it's a quartered cross in silver oh i see it yes yeah. yes i uh made it with a friend uh, that's also a lucifer symbol the cross it's a symbol of everything i know it's yeah, great it's very alchemical it's yeah. right there in the yeah alchemy. yeah yeah not that i have yeah, a yeah, problem yeah. with lucifer i'm just saying oh absolutely no it's um and it's something that i you know the symbol is meaningful to me and i am not a person who has totem jewelry at all but this was the one thing that yes. um that's where i'll be attached if anybody's wondering <laughs> when i'm that, gone <laughs> yes and that's the thing i i, I agree oh man that's a whole different con- i wanted to <laughs> susie for later conversations i wanted to get into some of the crystal stuff here mm, mm-hmm. and it's obviously it's not going to happen now but i'm i'd like to further that at some point because i'm just re re uh, mer- emerging into those again mm-hmm. and I'm having life-changing experiences with things like kyanite. Oh, oh yeah, kyanite, it'll zip you right up. Mm-hmm. Amazing yeah. dream stuff, amazing blue really? kyanite, black kyanite, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm itching to talk to people about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I was never a crystal person until I started, you know, reading for people and working in a crystal shop, and oh my God. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. Yes, I had, uh, you know, it was almost too new aging. I always had crystal jewelry. Trust me, I'd rather have crystal than glass and all that. So I've always had crystals around me. I love them and for the beauty, but not working with them. Right, right. And so now I'm just, it's blowing my mind. (laughs) Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, it's yeah. blowing my mind. You mean in, <laughs> in working with, do you mean, are you drawing spirits into them and working it with them that way or just in their raw energetic form? I'm programming them yeah. and I'm using them in grids Drunk and spirits, activating the, the same thing. Yeah. Like the blue kyanite with dreams. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just that the very first night of having sleeping blue kyanite it was a flood of incredible dreams. Mm. Do they have a different quality to them? Uh, what do you mean? Well, I mean, like, you know, did, do you think that the kyanite mostly in, increased volume or depth richness clarity oh in the dreams mm -hmm. yeah they it uh yes clarity clarity also, for sure recall for sure and i think you know it's hard for me to say if it's the kind it's ringing the depth if i'm working with moldavite and some peptides at the same time trying mm -hmm. to bring in more galactic type I'm, I'm really trying to just be open now to stuff i was not so open to in the past. <laughs> Moldavite is weird stuff. <laughs> I had a Moldavite earring jump off my ear. Off my ear, people witnessed it, and I I was so freaked out because they're so expensive. And I you know I got I got a real mm. one of fakes out there. Yeah, and I'm like, where's that Moldavite? <laughs> you know, I don't want to spend that money again. They're so they're price. And uh, it, it jumped out of. I'm out in public and it, I'm just there and it jumped off my ear. It just didn't want to be on That's me or so something. Weird. I don't know. So yeah. I haven't put that, that ruin back on me. Moldavites are crazy. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. And I only just learned about Moldavite. Yeah. A lot of personality in there. <laughs> There's, it's unbelievable. So I'm, I'm singing the praises and mm. wanting to get in those conversations. Mm. Need a new podcast. <laughs> I know, Jerry. We're we have Jerry. a plan. I've got it all planned out. We just got to find time to do it. We need another one with crystals, Jerry. Well, crystals <laughs> could be one of the one of the month things, you know. Whatever. Actually, you're right. It could be one of the the series, one of the little yeah. threads. Yep. yep. I'm yep. I'm just carrying on now. Uh, this has been super enjoyable, Susie. Yes, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. You are tried. For and sure. <laughs> definitely, if you want to plug something, I've got all your links uh, in the description. Oh, but if you have new stuff you want to talk about or what's coming. Probably the most important thing is the new course. So along with the book this year, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, I set up at the exact same time a course for people to take online called The Living Tarot. And it's not as nerdy and esoteric as my normal work. It is intended to help anybody start to read. So that can be found through my website, www.tsusanchang.com, and all sorts of other goodies are there. Right. Thank you so much. And all those links are in the description, I said, and they're in the show notes, too, and they will be in the podcast. So thanks, everyone, for, for listening and tuning in and being in the chat and being part of the show. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Nish. Thank you. And be sure to tune in. Next week, we have, we're kicking off our Meditation and Magic Month with uh, Geraldine Orozco from San Francisco Meditation Guru Lady. She's cool. <laughs> lots of astral stuff, lots of dream work. So I'm loving this month. <laughs> yep. So everyone take it take it easy. Have a great time. Have a great night. <laughs>